Topic of our demo talk this late afternoon is as follows, namely exploring the dissolution of formations with equanimity. And so this talk connects to the earlier talk on Monday, namely on equanimity, and our talk today will then further connect, or will connect to the following talk on Friday, which will be about contemplation of death, which is just another form of dissolution. And there too, equanimity is needed. Now, you might certainly remember from the previous demo talk on equanimity, mention was made of Chalang Upeka. Chalang Upeka is a Pali term that means what in English? Not, not no, six, correct. Six factored equanimity. So, cha lang upeka. Upeka is equanimity, cha means six, and anga are your factors. So, six factored equanimity, and this six-factored equanimity indeed has, uh, or has to be understood in connection with the six sense doors. So in that sense, the six sense doors that do come in, they're very important. Now, in this regard, the Visuddhimagga states six-factored equanimity is a name for the equanimity in one whose cankers or corruptions are destroyed. It is the mode of non-abandonment of the natural state of purity when desirable or undesirable objects of the six kinds come into focus. Come into focus in the six stores described thus. Here, a retreatant whose cankers are destroyed is neither glad nor sad on seeing a visible object with the physical eye. One dwells in equanimity, mindful and fully comprehending. Now, one could certainly extend and say here, retreatant whose cankers are destroyed is neither glad nor sad on hearing a sound with the ear. One dwells in equanimity, mindful and fully comprehending. The same thing goes for the remaining sense doors. Now, this is a form of equanimity that in its certain perfected certain form is, exp is fully experienced in an arahant, so a holy one, a person who's fully uprooted the mental defilements. However, to some extent, to some degree, this six-factored equanimity can also arise in retreatants 
who are not uh, uh, as yet arahants. Now, to better understand, allow me to give just a couple of Fatna examples for uh, the six-factored equanimity, namely one has no more preferences towards food, let's say, except uh, for uh, uh, food choices that are determined by health reasons. When equanimity is present, then this manifests as impartiality towards human beings. So there are no preferences here, preferring one over the other, or one group of people over another group of people. Now, a case of for the case of six-factored equanimity would be not no longer having preferences towards the weather. So most people, when it's sunny and mild like Khatna today, will very much like this kind of weather. But then, you know, when it's cold and you know, rainy and windy, you know, then uh, a number of people might not like, or you know, some people might not like this anymore. So that would be a case of uh, a lack of uh, balance of equanimity. Now, on occasion, we might certainly check whether we possess good six-factored equanimity when it comes certainly to falling sick or being healthy. So, are we equally okay with certain, or, or when we are sick? as we are okay with being healthy. Now, this certainly uh, no, probably for most people is certainly uh, not the case. So one prefers certainly uh, to be uh, healthy over uh, being sick. Now, when it comes certainly uh, to pain and delight, here too, true equanimity uh, has no more preferences. A pain is just as important as the light, and satna is, in the end, just another conditioned formation. And the delight is nothing unusual either, it's just another formation. The same thing goes satna with regard to wholesome and unwholesome mental states. Most people have... Uh, uh, or retreatants have a clear preference for wholesome uh, mental states. When it comes to the unwholesome ones, it's kind of like this. Yeah, so, uh, rejecting them, not wanting to uh, face them. True equanimity, however, treats a wholesome uh, mental states just as it would certainly treat an unwholesome mental state. In the end, just another mental object of observation.
Now, life is full of challenges, full of situations that might help us to grow and in equanimity. One such situation might be you know, when at times you know, we uh, get yelled at, and that's fine. And certainly at some other time, we're being spoken to quite nicely, and that's fine too. A number of retreatants tend to be somewhat sensitive towards noises. So let's say a fellow retreatant breathing heavily uh, during a sitting session or you know, being maybe very restless and sudden, and then unfortunately wearing one of you know, those uh, synthetic you know, jackets that make noise every time one moves. <laughs> And so someone sits there trying to you know, develop equanimity, and there's you know, there are these constant noises produced by you know, one's uh, uh, dear you know, neighbor, dear fellow you know, retreatant. Now, that certainly then is yet again a challenging situation, and six-factored equanimity would be if one is if one sees a noise not as a noise but as just another sound or just another hearing process, just another object to be mindful of, no reason to get upset about. Now, this much as an addition to the previous Dhamma talk on equanimity. Now, what we shall do next is explore one particular phase of the meditation practice that tends to last for a longer period of time because there's so much that needs to be explored and certainly so you know the area I'm or the face I'm talking about is exploring the dissolution the endings of formations now when it comes to Chalang Upeka it applies not only to observing, being equanimous towards certain desirable objects and undesirable objects, and being equanimous towards certain, let's say, heat or some cold sensation, but being equally equanimous when on occasion we experience formations as arising, undergoing changes, and then ending, being equally equanimous when formations rapidly arise and pass away, and being equally equanimous when formations are mostly experienced as ending. Now, Theoretically, it is easy to say, well, try to be equanimous in observing 
the very dissolution, the ending of Fatna formations, but in reality, in practice, this is much more difficult to do. And so, oftentimes, equanimity is lacking. And some sort of a preference is, uh, no, or uh, a preference creeps in. Now, when it comes to our exploring of uh, no, the dissolution, the disintegration of formations, quite a number of aspects are there to be explored. And those different aspects have been nicely summarized in four verses as given both in the Patisamita Magga, namely volume 1, uh, paragraphs 295 to 98, as, and based on uh, these, uh, then also in the Visuddhimagga, namely its 21st chapter, paragraphs 10 to 28. Now, allow me to read on those verses first, and Satna then will go over them one by one. The substitution of the object, the transference of understanding, the power of adverting, of adverting these are insight following contemplation or observation. The second verse states, defining both to be alike by inference from that same object, intentness on cessation, these are insight in the mark of fall. Having reflected on the object, dissolution one contemplates, appearance then as empty, this is insight of higher understanding. Skilled in the three contemplations and in the four-fold insight too, skilled in the three appearances, the various views will shake a retreatant knot. Now, what does this mean? There are at least several statements that Sapna call for further explanations. Now, as for it near the first stanza, the substitution of the object. This means after a retreating has seen the dissolution, the ending, the disintegration of a material object like a pain, there is the substitution of another object for that first object by seeing the dissolution of the consciousness by which the dissolution of Fatna, the earlier pain, was seen. So what happens is, one first clearly sees the ending of some material object, and it, and it could even be a mental you know, object, and suddenly, then, having seen that, the mind you know, then uh, focuses on consciousness itself, and there then sees the dissolution of consciousness.
Now, as we shall see in a little while, this requires a certain skill of the mind to quickly advert first to one object and then a moment later to the consciousness. Now, the second line of the first stanza says, transference of understanding. And Visrimag explains this as the abandoning of rise and specializing in fall. Now, during an earlier phase in the practice, a retreatant would typically experience a number of objects as arising and then the next moment an, an, object, an object would disappear. And the middle portion of an object is certainly very predominant? Not really. And so it's just the beginning and the ending of an object that uh, uh, tend to be predominant. Now, this is how the mind explores formations for a while. However, this is not going to go on forever, and you know, the investigation of formations then continues, and suddenly then a change takes place, and with this, the mind quite naturally, this is a natural process, quite naturally starts inclining more and more towards the exploration of the ending, the disintegration, the dissolution of formations. And this is what is meant by transference of understanding. So the you know, one's um, focus of wisdom is no longer on seeing the rising and uh, the arising passing of formations, but rather on uh, uh, exploring the ending of formations. Now, the third line of uh, this first stanza says the power of adverting. And as alluded to just a little while ago, it refers to a retreatant's ability, and it's actually quite a fabulous and amazing ability to quickly move one's attention first, having seen the dissolution of some material object, and then adverting one's attention to the consciousness that had had seen the dissolution of that earlier object. So these certain three aspects, substitution of the object, then the transference of understanding or the focus of one's attention and knowing, as well as certain the power of adverting, these are insight following uh, contemplation. So these are you know, um, aspects certain that you know, then come up in the course of contemplating the dissolution of formations. Now, defining both to be alike, the first line of the second stanza says, 
what is meant by defining both to be alike? What, what is meant by both? Ah, uh, that one would be tempted to now say this, but actually the explanation is different. Namely, the seen, you know, the unseen objects are or behave similar to the seen objects. So we see a number, we experience a number of objects currently as ending, ending, ending. Based on this, then one assumes that uh, for those objects of the future and that have not arisen yet, and the objects of the past that have gone by already, then certainly the same uh, will, the same process will apply. And indeed, the second line then confirms this by saying, by inference from that same object. So, defining both to be alike, the Visuddhimagga says, by inference from that same object, refers by, indu by in in inference, by induction from the object seen, by actual experience, one defines both, namely the seen as well as the unseen, to have a single individual essence, namely that of breaking up. Now, the third line of Fertner, the second stanza, is interesting. It says, intentness on cessation. What might this mean? Well, the mind is naturally inclining towards the observation or contemplation of the ending of formations. And it's inclining that way, it's leaning in that certain direction, it's, it tends in that certain direction. So the Visuddhimagga explains this as follows, namely, it certainly says, after thus giving to both a single definition, namely the seen as well as the unseen, based on their dissolution, one thus becomes intent on cessation, in other words, on that same dissolution. The meaning is that one attaches importance to it, inclines, tends, leans towards it. So the mind starts specializing in this. It's no longer interested in other aspects. It is this dissolution, this breaking up of the formation that it naturally wants to explore. Now, these certain things, namely defining both to be alike by inference from that same object, intentness on cessation, these are 
insight in the mark of fall. So these aspects have to do with the mark of fall. And by mark of fall is Satna meant the knowledge of Satna dissolution. Now, the first Tatna line of the third stanza goes on to say, having reflected on the object. So, having contemplated, um, as an example, a material object, and then having seen its dissolution, its ending, time and again, Appearance then as empty. Now, what this means is, and this appearance certainly then as empty, is a reference to something or an experience that certain takes place when a retreat and understanding of the dissolution, the ending of formations, has already matured quite a bit. So, understanding as, or appearance then as empty, does not occur right away. Right away at the beginning of one's exploration of the ending of formations. Now, when a retreatant keeps seeing object after object, many objects, if not hundreds of objects, as ending one after another, there comes a point in one's practice where indeed there is a sense of emptiness or nothingness. There are no no, tangible physical objects certainly to hold on to, yet certainly the mind is still aware and that state is empty of a self. So the Visuddhimagga explains this as follows. While one is contemplating dissolution in this way, one succeeds in making formations appear as void thus. Only formations break up, their breakup is death. There's nothing else at all. Now, in this certain regard, there is a short verse, a different verse or stanza that goes as follows. Namely, aggregates cease and nothing else exists. Breakup of aggregates is known as death. One watches their destruction steadfastly as one who with a diamond drills a gem. So one keeps seeing the formations as breaking up. The mm, main focus of one's attention is on that very breaking up, on that very destruction, and as such, and that then is being compared to 
a jeweler who then um, drills drills a hole into a gym and is totally focused on his activity of drilling and drilling in the hole and not concerned with the color of the gym and its texture and other qualities. This is an explanation given by the Paramatta Manjusa, namely the Visuddhimagga Atakata. So the commentary to the Visuddhimagga. Now, the last line of the third stanza then summarizes the meaning of the third stanza by saying, this is insight in higher understanding, namely, three things are said to make up this insight of higher understanding, adipanya vipassana in the Pali scriptural language, namely, for one thing, having seen Or having seen, having known the object, then the contemplation of dissolution as the second aspect, and then the appearance as void. So those you know, three aspects together are, you know, if they occur in one certain practice, you know, then you know, they uh, are referred to as insight of higher understanding, which is a very specific, um, or yeah, is a term for a very specific aspect of the practice. Now, skilled in the three contemplations, which is the first line of Fatna, the fourth stanza, skilled in the three contemplations as uh, is certainly relatively easy to understand, is a reference to the three universal characteristics. So being skilled in the contemplation of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and satna anatta, the no-self. And in the fourfold insight too, which is the second line of the fourth stanza. Now, here, the four kinds of insight are explained by the Visuddhimagga earlier on in this particular chapter on or exposition on the knowledge of Fatna dissolution as consisting of dispassion. Nibida in the Pali scripture language, which is one particular insight knowledge, the fading of no, the fading away of greed, viraga, in the Pali scripture language, which it, in itself is another contemplation, then cessation, niroda, in the Pali scriptural language, 
then too is a contemplation of its own and how every aspect of cessation you know, do occur when one sees formations ending in a particular way, namely a sudden ending, and then relinquishment or relinquishing pati nisaga in the Pali scriptural language. So skilled in the three contemplations and skilled in the four fault insights or insight two. Then, skilled in the three appearances, which is the third line of the fourth stanza, which refers to experiencing formations as being liable to destruction, which is nothing other than seeing their impermanence. That is correct. Destruction and fall. Then, seeing formations as being liable to terror, which is an aspect of dukkha, correct? And satna then as void, which is an aspect of anatta. There you go. So, restating anicca, dukkha, and anatta in a different language. Now, what we can see from this is that within this phase of the practice where the focus is, focus of footnote one's understanding is mostly on the ending of footnote formations. Within this, there are aspects related to impermanence, there are aspects related to unsatisfactoriness, to dukkha, and there will be aspects that are connected to the aspect of anatta. Once all of this has been understood, deeply digested, then the Visuddhi Magga and Patisamvida Magga conclude the various views will shake him or her not. Now, the various views refers to, in particular, to the so-called eternity view, namely sasata deity in the Pali scriptural language, assuming that the formations are permanent when in fact they are not. Now, Sasata deity, eternity belief or view, is the belief in the existence of a persisting ego entity, soul or personality existing independently of those for existing independently of those physical and mental processes that occur. And then Thinking 
that certain of those processes will continue to occur even after death. Now, when a retreatant keeps seeing formations as ending all the time, very soon he or she will understand in a clear-cut manner that formations are definitely not eternal. And with this, then, quite naturally, this eternity view then collapses. Now, a number of benefits have been attributed to this contemplation of dissolution. And among those, the first one is, as we've seen already, the abandoning of the wrongful belief of becoming, or in other words, the eternity view, bhava deity in Pali. The second advantage or benefit that will be gained or that arises out of contemplating the ending of formations is that one, what you think becomes more attached to life or less attached. Obviously, less attached. Woman constantly sees how formations keep breaking up, then it doesn't make much sense to be greatly attached to them because certainly sooner or later they will break up and certainly end. Now, this contemplation of the dissolution of Fertner formations brings or leads to a rather direct result. Namely, a retreatant will apply herself or himself in a constant uh, manner. So, one will exert much effort in one's practice. Now, this is expressed in the text in rather lively language. Now, let's listen in to the relevant passage, namely Samyutta Nikaya, Volume 5, Section 440. Because Bikonis and lay retreatants, if one's clothes or head were ablaze, what should be done about it? Let the fire keep burning. Venerable sir, if one's clothes or head were ablaze, to extinguish one's blazing clothes or head, one should arouse 
one should arouse extraordinary desire, make an extraordinary effort, stir up zeal and enthusiasm, be unremitting, and exercise mindfulness and clear comprehension. O retreatants, one might look on equanimously at one's blazing clothes or head, paying no attention to them, but so long as one has not made the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths as they really are, in order to make the breakthrough, one should arouse extraordinary desire, make an extraordinary effort, stir up zeal and enthusiasm, be unremitting, and exercise mindfulness and clear comprehension. What for? Namely, the noble truth of suffering, the origin of suffering, and so forth, and so forth. Therefore, an exertion should be made to understand this is suffering, the origin of suffering, etc. So, if we have not yet gained the Dhamma, if this breakthrough, crossing over from mundane consciousness to supermundane consciousness, has not yet taken place, then we should not be or, or establish ourselves too much in equanimity. So equanimity has its place, yes. But if a burning situation exists, then it also requires full engagement, full exertion of effort. Now, Retreat time can be taken for granted? Not at all. Even though we are happily sitting here and participating in this very retreat, yet it could be just a phone call away or an email away that maybe some family member or some friend you know, sends you a message, please come back home, such and such serious event has happened. And I'm not saying this from imagination, just today one retreatant received such kind of a message and you know, quite suddenly, you know, abruptly had to end her retreat. So, retreat time is extremely precious. We never know how many more days we have. We never know when some interruption comes up. So, as long as we are here, we might as well and as long as we have you know, the breakthrough has not taken place, we might as well you know, then um, have extraordinary you know, desire, make an extraordinary effort, and stir up zeal and enthusiasm, and be unremitting, and exercise mindfulness and clear comprehension. Now.
when deeply investigating the dissolution, the ending of certain formations, it is uh, like engaging in a really serious matter. And with this, quite naturally, then one will not want, one will, quite naturally, one will want to focus on what is really essential in life, what is really meaningful in life. And this usually then goes along with a giving up of low and base, any kind of low and base livelihood. So if earlier on, out of ignorance, out of a you know, really profound examination, one engaged in you know, some uh, well unnecessary activity, then now it's time to let go of you know, such kind of activities. So exploring the dissolution of formations tends, as the Visuddhimagga says, lead to the benefit of a purification of one's livelihood. Now also, when the focus is really on the essentials of Fatna life, one will quite naturally dispel interest in the big and small matters of life. So, to give you an example or an illustration for this, if a person falls sick, and it's a serious illness, it's a really, it's a matter of over life and death. If that, would that person who has to fight to uh, maintain life, will such a person still be interested in, uh, let's say, politics at home, or let's say, national politics or international politics? Probably not. The person will be focused on what matters most, namely survival. And so, so here, no, and that is basically what is meant by this benefit, fifth benefit to be gained from this disordering exploration of the dissolution of formations. Now, this Surimaga goes on to describe yet another benefit. It says, one, there is, and this is certain, this one has to understand in a, in a relative way, there is a relative absence of fear. Now, and it's relative and only temporary, because as one keeps certain seeing formations as ending, and with this certain then the self also starts suddenly crumbling. So with this, eventually, you know, there's then uh, less sudden fear.
when being totally focused on what is most essential in life or when being close to death, then one will just have to be patient with the situation as it is, and one will might probably also give up roughness if previously it was a prominent quality. So acquisition of patience and gentleness are or are given as the seventh benefit to be gained from exploring the dissolution of formations. And the last one is that a retreatant takes delight in a secluded forest monastery, takes delight in the practice of samatha and satna vipassana. And as such a person will also conquer aversion or boredom and then further conquer an essential delight. On seeing these eight perfect qualities, one comprehends formations constantly seeing breakup in order to attain the deathless like the sage with the burning turban. Now, seeing the, or observing and knowing the dissolution of formations, is always an easy task to undertake. Ruti, not at all. There might be t- times when it's quite easy, but there might also be other times when it's quite difficult. And it's certainly when e- in either situation that we do need some amount of equanimity. And the more a retreatant observes the ending of formations, the more that person will simply accept that as a reality and will then more and more give up any kind of resistance towards the observation of the ending of formations. So some degree of equanimity does gradually uh, arise or gradually develop. And as outlined in the earlier Dhamma talk on Monday on equanimity, equanimity brings or has suddenly this quality of strength of mind, provides, brings about strength of mind. So when one then is time and again exploring the ending, the breakup of fatna formations, the mind does gain in strength. And it will be in a position to deeply explore how formations end 
over and over again. And even if this then involves seeing how the sense of self, how the concept of the self gets shattered, and in such a situation, it might be uh, important to remember Dhammapada, verse 81, cited already during the previous Dhammatog, as a mountain of rock is unshaken by wind, so too the wise remain unperturbed. And now I slightly change the verse. One remains unperturbed when seeing formations as ending. Now, there was a group of 500 um, disciples of the Buddha who um, approached the Buddha for a meditation subject, and he then gave them a subject to meditate on. They then retreated to the forest and contemplated on or contemplated this certain particular meditation subject. And then, after a while, this group of 500 the disciples of Fatna the Buddha realized that it was difficult to do. They couldn't couldn't see really the couldn't contemplate as instructed by the Buddha, and thus they then decided to return to where the Buddha was residing at the time, namely the Jetavana Monastery. On their way back, just when they were about to enter the monastery compound, a storm broke loose, and then it rained heavily, big drops of rain fell to the ground and the bubbles and bubbles formed on the ground and soon disappeared. The bhikkhus then contemplated the very ending of those bubbles and Satna then realized the perishable nature of Fatna the five aggregates. The Buddha then seeing them, seeing the group of 500 monastics or bhikkhus coming along, appeared in their vision and he then spoke as follows. 
if a man or woman looks upon the world, namely the world of the five aggregates, as one who looks upon a bubble, as one who looks upon a mirage, is out of the sight of the king of death. And the group of 500 monastics all became arahants, and certainly allow me to conclude with this certain verse by hoping that we too one day become arahants in contemplating the dissolution of formations. And this is it for today.